Bible readings this morning. The first is from Matthew chapter 25, verses 1 to 13. And you can follow along on the screen or in your leaflets. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the crier rang out, Here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. The second Bible reading is from 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 to 11. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind, so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power for ever and ever. Amen. I don't know if you've ever had that, uh, that experience. The end is near. Uh, it is important to know the time. It's important to check the toilet paper before you lock the door. It's important to know the time. Not so much the hours and the minutes, but the time. There's a few people here who I understand are expecting you know that you're expecting. You know that the day is coming. You don't know when it's coming, but it's coming. You know that time, you need to know it. The wedding day is approached. He asked, she said yes. All sorts of activities happen. There is an end date. It shapes our behaviours, planning and preparation. Who sits where? What are you going to eat? How's it all going to work? Those kind of things or maybe a little bit more close to my experience recently, exams are coming. What does that mean? Know the time. I've got to get ready. I've got to study. It focuses our activity. It focuses our attention if we know the time. On a darker note, imagine sitting there when the doctor says, three months. I've seen this. It focuses energy and action acutely. 
You know what's important and you do it. Know the time. Today is my last day. It's the time. This has focused my activity. It's guided my choices down to the passage that I've chosen to speak to you from this morning. I don't expect you to remember, but this is the passage that Paul spoke of in my induction. So it bookends my time here at Trinity Hills. And Peter reminds us, encourages us, begs us to know the time. We're going to look at it under three headings. Know the time, serve the king, and give God the glory. Let's pray. Father, we do ask that as we turn our attention now to your word, that you would open it to us, that your spirit would be at work in our hearts and minds, that we would learn what you would teach, that we might live faithfully, that we might be expectant every day, longing for the return of the Lord Jesus and the end of all things. And in his name we pray. Amen. Know the time. We have a society that I think has lost a little bit of this sense. We've lost our sense of seasons. We tend to move more governed by hours and minutes, days and weeks, as determined in our clocks and our calendars. We live in this world. But this was quite a different world. If you imagine going back before you had Google telling you what's coming up next, before you had the little... Uh, watch on the wrist where you could say it's now 10.01, I wonder how long Cameron's going to go for, how significantly he's going to add to those 150 estimated hours of preaching. We live in a society that is bound into the little nitty-gritty of time. But that's not the biblical idea of time. The biblical idea of time is quite different. It's seasons, it's periods of time, it's epochs, eras, rather than minutes and seconds. And Peter introduces his little word to us this morning, encouraging us to know the time. He says, the end of all things is near. I don't know what you think of when you hear those words, the end of all things is near. Whether you think of the guys walking around in their, uh, their Hessian suits, waving placards, the end is nigh, repent, repent, repent. But this is a very biblical idea and not an extreme idea, but a very normal idea. The end of all things is near. What does Peter actually mean? Well, I want to unpack that little word, end. He uses the word telos. Now, I expect that you probably haven't boned up on your Greek this morning, but let me expand this for you because telos could mean the end as in stop, not to start again. But it has a bigger idea. It has the idea of fulfillment or the goal or the climax, or the purpose, the thing towards which everything has been moving. And Peter is saying that that moment where all of God's plans, where God's history comes to its fruition, when all his plans and purposes are fulfilled, that time is near. It's kind of like baking a cake. 
So you've gone to the shops. You've got your flour, your eggs, your milk, your water, all that kind of stuff. Okay, shopping, done. You've done all the sifting and the weighing. You've put it all into the bowl, done. The mixing, done. You've turned on the oven. It's heated up to 160 or whatever it is that you need it. I'm the world's worst baker. Uh, But it's done. It's there. You've put the cake in the wonderfully greased tin. You've slid it into the oven. The only thing left is for the timer to go and the cake to be cooked. Peter is saying that is where we are at, but not with a cake, but with God's purposes for us and for his creation. Let me unpack it for you. From Genesis 1, we see creation. We see the call of Abraham to answer the scourge of human sin. We see the exodus out of Egypt. We see the giving of the law. We see God's people into the promised land, raising up the kings. We see Israel, because of their infidelity, thrown out, cast into exile, but by God's grace, brought back. We have the promised Lord Jesus, born, living, ministering, dying on a cross rising again to new life, ascended and pouring out the Spirit upon his church. We have that church going to the ends of the earth to proclaim the wonders of the gospel. All that is left is for Christ's return and judgment and salvation to come. Peter tells us, know the time. Know the time, the end of all things, the fulfillment of God's plans and purposes from the beginning of creation are coming to their fulfillment soon. What are those plans? Isaiah 65 in the Old Testament. God promises, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. That is what God is doing. And we see a picture of it presented so beautifully. In Revelation 21, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. No more death, mourning, crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. The one who was seated upon the throne, that's the father. He says, I am making everything new. The end of all things, the fulfillment of all things, its telos is Near. Now, brothers and sisters, I was reflecting, I think, with Mark uh, this morning. Uh, I've never belonged to a church for as long as I've belonged to Trinity Hills, ever. I've never lived other than the house I was born into. I've never lived in the one place for as long as I've lived in the Adelaide Hills. I feel I understand a little bit of the hills. Brothers and sisters, I think we're in danger of losing sense of the time, losing track of the time. Because life here is good, isn't it? I, I miss the fact that no longer in my bedroom does it cool down at night as I lie down there in the plains and sweat my nights away. I remember with fond memories the wonderful fact that the hills cools down. I cherish every tree that I took for granted up here. As I drive back into Stirling and all go, 
This is an amazing place. As I think about how God has blessed me and how he has blessed so many of you as well, it's so easy to get caught up in the here and the now. It's so easy to get caught up in the blessings of this creation. But what we lose is a sense of the best is yet to come. That God is bringing all his purposes and plans to their fulfillment and that moment could be any moment. This is the season that we live in, the season of the end. We need balance. We don't want to be crazy. We don't want to be running around just frantically. You know, when I was in Sydney, there were some guys uh, a while ago who predicted that Jesus was going to come back through the Sydney heads. And they built a stadium, like a mini stadium, at Balmoral Beach, uh, which looks out to the heads. uh, And they awaited Jesus' return. Jesus is not calling us to that. But he is calling us like his story of the ten virgins, the ten young ladies. Like the other stories he tells about the servants who are set about their master's business, awaiting his return. He is calling us to expectant faithfulness. I don't know about you, but as I look and as I heard uh, Stephen read for us that 1 Peter 4, as I thought about it, I think what Peter is doing, Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, I think what Peter is doing is giving us a little commentary on those stories that Jesus was telling. The virgins have to get oil. I don't know. What does that mean in my life? I, I have to make sure I've got oil for my lamp. What does that mean? I've been given the miners, okay? I know that's money. Is that the money in my... What does it mean to be faithful with what God has... Well, I think Peter here gives us a commentary on what it means to serve the king because we know the time. He gives us four simple commands, four encouragements, four exhortations, and we're going to unpack them. This isn't everything we need to do, but I think it's a great reminder of how we serve the king because we know the time. Second half of verse 7. He says, be alert. Literally, be sane. Okay? Be sane and of sober mind so that you might pray. Be in touch with reality. Not so that your prayers are possible, but so your prayers are focused. How does the Lord Jesus teach us to pray? Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Remember the Lord's Prayer we looked at just recently. He teaches us to pray knowing God's priorities. Peter drags us back. He says, know the time, be alert, be sane and of sober mind so that you might pray. Because we know the season that we live in, we know how to pray. Because we know that there is nothing yet to be done. The only thing is that the Lord Jesus returns. We pray knowing, knowing that soon 
we will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Soon, every man, woman, boy and girl will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Soon, everything will be made new. We pray as he teaches us for his kingdom to come, for his will be done. We pray for the making of disciples. I don't know how you felt as I read the little letter from uh, Duncan uh, and our brothers and sisters down at Trinity South Coast. But I was stoked when I got that letter. Not that it's a thanks. Like, obviously, it's nice to be thanked. But to know that God uses our prayers, God uses our actions, and that there are men and women in the kingdom who weren't in the kingdom before that group went down there. The same could be said for this group that left North Terrace. The same that will be said, many of us will know, Carl and Meredith Forsyth, Trinity Hills people, now working on staff at Trinity Inner South, just about to plant Trinity Unley. New congregation. The gospel goes out. We pray knowing that the end of all things is near. We pray knowing that the pressure will get stronger on us. That those who oppose God and his purposes are getting stronger are getting more vocal, are getting more opposed. But we know that it is our Lord who is the Lord of history. And so we pray. We know that we struggle with our internal conflicts, that sin, even though it's dealt with, sin is paid for, its power is broken, but it remains. And so knowing that we want to be the faithful servant who puts his money to work for his master. We want to be the young woman who has the oil for the lamp. We pray that God would enable us to be expectantly faithful. Be alert and of sober mind, Trinity Hills, so that you might pray. Something the Lord's taught me a bit recently. You know, in James, there is a brutal verse The verse says, you do not have because you do not ask. I wonder how often our lack is because we don't come to our Father who longs to bless us so richly. We do not come to him and ask and he will give us in abundance. He will give us in abundance. Be alert and of sober mind so you may pray. Number two. Above all, Trinity Hills, love each other deeply. Command number two, love each other deeply. Why? Because love covers over a multitude of sin. Life in community is hard, isn't it? There are those people we find difficult. Just think about the apprehension you might be feeling about Christmas celebrations in three weeks. You know, when you sit around with those people that you don't always find really easy, you know, that weird uncle, the crazy auntie, the sister who doesn't really, you know, how do you deal with those things? Well, this is a family. (laughs) And they're here in spades, aren't they? We need to love each other deeply. We need to love each other because when we love each other, Because 1 John 4 verse 9 tells us we love because he first loved us. We rest in his love for us and so we therefore can love one another. 
when we do that, we cover over a multitude of sin. Think about it. What's he talking about? When you love someone, you don't take offence. You don't take offence. Or not easily, anyway. So someone you love dearly is 20 minutes late. Oh, I'm sorry. Don't worry about it. What's to forgive? Someone you're struggling with 20 minutes late, man, do they know about it. Do they know about it. Love covers over a multitude of sin. Those niggles, you just let them go. You just absorb the cost of forgiveness. Because in Christ, that is what God has done for us. He has absorbed the pain and the cost of forgiving us. When love is lacking, it's easy to come to those harsh judgments. It's easy to misunderstand. It's easy to quickly take offence. But Peter tells us, love each other deeply. He goes on, verse 9. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Share life together. Another little Greek lesson for you this morning. Um, You've heard the word xenophobia, yes? That's a fear of others, xenophobia, fear of people who are other than us. The word here for hospitality is xenophilia, love of others, love of people who are different. So when Peter is saying, offer hospitality, he's not saying to your besties who are sitting around you, the people who are already on the inside. He's saying, offer hospitality to those who are different, to invite them into your homes, to invite them into your lives, to share that time together. Sharing a meal together is a massive expression of belonging and acceptance. We have just shared a meal together in remembrance that through Christ we belong, we are accepted. That is what we do. And Peter says, be a community, be a community that does life together. Be a community that loves the different person, loves the outsider. Someone has said once, and I think this is true, Adelaide people and particularly Hills people, We're very nice. It's very easy to get to first base. It's actually pretty hard to get to second base. When I first came, this person isn't here, so it doesn't matter. Someone sat me down and told me that uh, they actually didn't have any time in their life for new friends. I thought, wow, that's pretty in your face. How do I deal with that? Are you saying that I'm accepted because, you know, the previous pastor, he's moved on. So there was, a, there was a spot for you guys. But I wonder, you know, none of us here would probably be quite that blatant. But do we do it anyway? We kind of work out how much space we've got, how much time we've got. And we work out that it's pretty tight because for a lot of us, we've got jobs, we've got families, we've got responsibilities, we've got all this kind of stuff. And so we work out that if I'm going to spend this much time, I'm going to fill it with people that I want to fill it with, people I like, people who are like me. Xenophilia, loving others. Trinity Hills, 
Be a community that is open, that is embracing, that someone walks in here, it's the first time for them this morning, and you show practical love. But they not just walk in the first time. They work in the third week, the fifth week, the tenth week. They've been here for six months, but you still don't know their name. You want to know their name because you love the other. Because in Christ, God welcomed us. Lastly, each of you, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do do so as one who speaks the very words of God. And I've dropped off the second half of this. Anyone serves, they do so with the strength that God provides. Speaking and serving, two broad categories really is covering pretty much every gift that you could possibly imagine. But here Peter is saying, serve one another with the gifts that God has given you, with the strength that God provides for the purposes for which God gave you those gifts. I have so much to be thankful for. Over the 10 years I've been here, I've seen so many of you serve in so many different ways, doing things that I could not possibly conceive, let alone do, but God has gifted you for it. I've seen people do hard yards, not for any personal gain, but because they believe God has called them to serve and to love one another. Trinity Hills, you're having a time where some of your paid ministry staff are disappearing. You know what? I think it's a great opportunity to do exactly this. Sure, pastors, they're good to have, I hope. Um, You could be the judge of that after today, please. Uh, but, uh, But there we are. We have an opportunity where Peter presents before us that each of us have gifts. Each of us have received a stewardship. It's given to us by God for his purposes and it is his spirit that stands behind those gifts so that you might work for him. Trinity Hills, pray, love, share life and serve one another. Is that everything? Well, close. One of my... um, one of my little spiritual pin-up boys is a guy called Jonathan Edwards. Now, Jonathan Edwards uh, was an American uh, in the 1700s, so he's long, long gone to glory, um, and God used him to do some extraordinary things. Jonathan Edwards was a guy who, um, he used to make resolutions, and you can actually go online, I encourage you to do this, to see, uh, he, you can type in Jonathan Edwards resolutions, you'll find them all there. He used to write these down. They obviously were things that he resolved to do after prayer and reflection. And I like this one for today. So July 8, 1723, Jonathan Edwards, resolution number 52. He says, I frequently hear people in old age say how they would live if they were to live their lives over again. Resolved that I will live just so as I can think I shall wish I had done, supposing I live to an old age. 
Let me rephrase that in terms of the end of all things is near. I will live in such a way that I will be commended rather than condemned by the Lord Jesus Christ. Because we are called, brothers and sisters, to do everything for his glory. We are to serve with the strength that he provides so that the glory goes to him. We are called to live with Christ at the centre. Trinity Hills, Christ is your Lord. You are to serve him. To put it in the words of the parable, he has gone away, but he is coming back. And our greatest commendation, our greatest commendation, not the world, it's not someone who walks into your house and goes, oh, what an amazing garden. What a wonderfully obedient family. Wow, look at all your degrees, look at your collection of model cars or shells or whatever else. The greatest commendation I think we can hear, 1 Peter 2 verse 12, they will see your good deeds and glorify your God and Father on the day that he visits us. And that as on that day he welcomes us in, he will say to each of us, well done, well done, good and faithful servant. Trinity Hills, Live for God's glory. Know the time. Know that the end of all things, the fulfillment of God's purposes is near. Serve him faithfully so that when he does come and his arms open wide and he welcomes you in, you have the joy of knowing that by his strength, with the gifts and the opportunities that he has given you, you have served him faithfully to his glory. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, teach us. Teach us by your spirit to be faithfully expectant to be looking, to be longing, to be working for the day where the Lord Jesus returns. Help us have you at the centre, your purposes, your plans, your priorities, that we might live lives, lives saturated in prayer, lives showing forth your love, lives welcoming others in as you have welcomed us lives serving others as the Lord Jesus, taking the very nature of a servant, served us. Father, may we do all these things depending upon your strength that you have given us so powerfully through the gift of the Spirit. And may we do all these things for the glory of our Lord Jesus. And in his name we pray. Amen.